Amen. Let's thank our worship team once again. They do a fantastic job at helping us get prepared to worship God, and I do hope you appreciate them and all the work and time they put into uh, preparing each week for us. Uh, Before we get into our part three of our series, uh, Soul Food, I do want to acknowledge some very special guests all the way from the church in Colorado Springs. Our sister Camille, Camille Silver, and her parents. Guys, stand up, stand up. Her dad, Randy, her mom, uh, Joan, and their brother, Colin. Her brother, Colin. Welcome to Harlem. Camille is actually uh, planning to join the family here in Harlem, so we just want you to know she'll be in good hands. And uh, we welcome you and uh, grateful for you guys being here with us. Let's go to God with a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into our message for today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father God, we are so grateful uh, to be called out of darkness and into your wonderful light. Uh, Father, we get to come together as a family, as a community of believers to worship you, to be fed your word, to feed each other uh, deeper faith and to encourage one another, to be encouraged, to give and to be given to. And God, we know that it's all possible because of your grace and your love for us. And Father, we pray that as we search our souls today, Father, that we will desire a deeper connection with you, a deeper bond with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and a deeper compassion for this lost world around us. Father, we pray for all the victims uh, of this uh, tragedy that happened at this concert over the week. God, we're, we're praying for the families and victims of all the terrorist bombings that's going on around the world. God, we pray that you will convict the hearts of those carrying out these these terrible acts. Father, help them to see that this is not your will. And this will serves no purpose other than a selfish one. And it is not what Jesus Christ gave his life for. And we pray that we can remember to pray not only for the victims, but also for those carrying out these terrible acts and deeds, that you will bring them to a point of repentance and salvation in Christ Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and we pray Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we we looked at a type of soul. We looked at the generous soul. Uh, You know, the generous soul is one who gives themselves to God first, who understands that generosity is an act of grace, You know, once we realize that we have received God's grace, that should motivate us to be more generous. And lastly, the generous soul is one who imitates Jesus' example. And so uh, today, I want to take us on a different journey. I want us to do some soul searching. Is that all right? You know, and as we go on this journey, I want you to ask yourself some honest questions. And I believe that the the answer to those questions will help you to identify the condition of your own soul and prayerfully identify some solutions as well. The one thing I hope that will remain with us throughout this series, I hope that we walk away with a deeper conviction about committing our total being to God. And today we're going to do some soul searching. We're going to to really get into uh, some conditions that we often want to avoid. 
And if, if for some reason, you know, sometimes, you know, when it comes to really dealing with some deep issues, it, it unearths a lot of things that we've buried for a long time. And I do want to encourage you that the most important thing about you is not the things you achieve in life. It's the person you become. And I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind. It's not the things you do, because all the things you do will be forgotten. But the person you have become can be a legacy. And I want us to keep that in mind. You know, the people, the problem is that the world does not teach us to focus on what matters. God taught this lesson to Samuel when he was sent to find a replacement for Israel's first king, Saul. Saul did a terrible job at being king. He started off good, but then he let the power get to his, his head, and eventually God had to replace Saul with a new king. And over in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, God teaches Saul, Samuel, the prophet, a, a, a very valuable lesson about what is important to God when it comes to us. Uh, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That is not what the world is selling to us. The world is telling us, go to Mac and spend $300 to make yourself look good on the outside. But do they offer you any advice on how to make yourself look good on the inside? We'll go drop $100 $200 on a pair of sneakers because it looks good on our feet. It makes our outfit look complete. But how is your soul looking on the inside? You see, the world does not set us up to do any soul searching. And that's where God comes in because what really matters to God is not how we look on the outside but how we look on the inside. You know, my wife and I learned this lesson, and we learned this to be true a few years when we were out of the ministry and we were seeking work. A friend of ours had sent us an ad in the paper that was looking for uh, instructors to teach an abstinence education, abstinence education program. And within the inner cities in Westchester, the Bronx, Brooklyn, and it offered a very nice salary with benefits. I'm thinking, whoa, it'd be nice to get this. But they had some requirements. And so we went in for the interview. We, you know, we both, we, we, we applied, and they called us in on, on different uh, times and everything. They didn't know we were married until later on in the week when she looked at the names and she saw that the addresses were the same. And she thought, is this a married couple? And so... She called us in, we sat down, and you know, when you go for a job interview, especially when you need a job, my daughter was just born, she was about five months at the time, and you know, when you, you need a job, you want to put your best foot forward, right? You want to make sure your shirt is ironed and your tie has no stains on it, you want to make sure your blouse is clean, you go in, you want to make sure your resume looks good, so you, you make it look as pretty and as attractive as possible because you want, you're selling yourself, Right? That's what you're supposed to do. So we went in there and we tried to sell ourselves. And this woman read our resumes and she had a stack of other resumes of people far more qualified to teach this program than my wife and I. 
But we ended up getting the job. She called us in, and this time she called us in together for the final interview. And she said, you know, the reason why I'm hiring you is not because you're the most qualified or even the most educated. There were people with PhDs, doctorates in, in, in teaching and all sorts of things. She said, the reason why I'm giving you the job is because of who you are. The fact that two, the both of you practice abstinence through your dating relationship before marriage, I've never seen that. She was blown away. So we got the job because of who we were, not because of what we put on the outside. And I want to encourage you, sometimes we put so much emphasis and we worry so much about what people think and what people, our parents, when God is trying to get us to look good on the inside. Because it's on the inside, and believe it or not, the world appreciates. The world is actually looking for people who are good on the inside because they're not going to lose money. They're not going to have to worry about people sleeping on the job or stealing from them because of who you are on the inside, not because of what your resume says or all the degrees that you have. It's who you are on the inside. You know, the advertisements we watch, the conversations we hold, the standards by which we're judged, the entertainment we consume, they all fuel our desire to change our present circumstances. All the while, God is looking to redeem our souls. God wants us to attend to our souls, but the world wants us to ignore it. So we need to stay in a perpetual state of soul searching, not just one time. We need to always be searching for searching our souls to make sure that we are in a place where God wants us to be. How does the world keep us from attending to our souls? I'm glad you asked. You know, Jesus actually tells us a parable about this. And it is such an important one that it was one of the first ones uh, Mark highlights in his gospel. And it's a parable about some seeds, a sower and some soil. And to really understand this parable, first we have to be aware of the constants and the variables in the parable. There are some things that are constant throughout the story, and then there are some things that actually changes. And so we have to be aware of those things because they apply to us. You know, the seed is a constant throughout the parable. This is not a story about good seeds and bad seeds. The seed will take root if given half the chance. So we're not talking about good seeds and bad seeds. The sower is a constant. This is not a story about good sowers and bad sowers. The first thing we notice about the sower is how generous he is with spreading and scattering the seeds. But then we get to the soil. And this is where things get interesting. The soil is the variable. The soil is not consistent, and it's not a fixed pattern. It's conditional. It's liable to change. And you can even replace in this story soil with soul. 
Because just like the soil in this parable, our soul changes. Our soul is liable to change. Our soul, our soul does not stick to a fixed pattern. Our soul can be good or it can be bad. Our soil can be happy. It can be bitter. Our soil is not in a constant state, which is why we need to give careful attention to it constantly. We cannot neglect the deepest parts of our being. Let's look at the types of souls. This is going to be a part one and part two because I want to make sure we get through everything here. So we'll pick up half of this later. As we go on this journey, I want you to ask yourself this question. Which of these souls would Jesus say that I have? Not what you say that you have. Because we are our own worst critics. Sometimes we have an overestimation of ourselves. And sometimes we're too hard and down on ourselves. So I want you to ask, which soul would Jesus say that I have? And what am I willing to do about it? In Mark chapter 4, let's look at some script. Mark chapter 4, guys with me, right? All right, we're only 10 minutes in, so you got to stay with me. Mark chapter 4, verse 2. This is what the Bible says. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The first soul I want us to look at today is the hardened soul. In verse 4, Jesus says, as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some seeds fell along the path. In the Middle East, conditions are almost always dry. And the path is where places where the farmers would walk, where shepherds would walk their sheep uh, to find water and, and grass. Uh, the path is hard and dry. And seeds don't stand much of a chance at taking root. And the soul can be the same way. You know, these are often people who have been hurt or disappointed in the past. They form a hard protective shell around themselves. They become cynical or bitter and even suspicious. And oftentimes, it's the result of a conflict from a close relationship. Raise your hand if you've been there before. You know, I think at some point in our lives, we all put on a hard shell especially when we've been hurt. We're a lot more cautious, we're more careful, and if not given much attention to, we become more suspicious of anyone else wanting to get close to us. And that sometimes that shell starts 
around our hearts. We put this protective shell around our hearts because we don't want it to get broken again. But here's the thing. Your heart feeds your soul. So whatever's in your heart is going to feed the deepest part of your being. So if your heart is hard and has a protective shell around it, then guess what? So will your soul. You see, when this happened, we see this happen among a lot of examples in the scriptures. Cain, he was probably the first hardened soul we see in the Bible. Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. His was not. He felt rejected by God. Sometimes rejection can lead us to shelling up. We've been rejected once. I don't want it to happen again. And we put on this, this shell. Esau, he was hardened against his brother Jacob. Jacob deceived him. And for years, they hadn't spoken. They were at odds. Jacob fleeing from his brother. He put this shell around him because his brother had hurt him. David was estranged from his brothers and later from his sons. Some of the Psalms that we read is David lamenting about his, 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 his relationship with his son and how that David he had to flee his own kingdom because of the conflict between him and his son. Sometimes family hurts and wounds us more than anyone else. Joseph, who, I mean, his brothers hardened against him because they were jealous. They were jealous of all the dreams that God was giving him. And let's just let's be honest, Joseph probably didn't help it out. He said, you know, you all are going to bow down to me. I mean, that's just, I mean, I didn't dream. God put it in me. I mean, you know. He probably didn't help the cause, but I mean, come on, you're going to sell your brother? He sold his, they sold his brother out. They were hardened against him. They were hardened against their father because he favored Joseph over the rest of them. You know, the world diverts our attention away from the soul when it encourages us to think of ourselves as the victim. We then become so warped so wrapped up in the hurt that we receive that we totally become oblivious to our hurt against others. In some ways, we even justify, well, it wasn't as bad as what they did to me. You ever notice that? You know, when you see yourself as the victim all the time, you're blinded to your own transgressions. And when someone brings it to your attention, hey, you know what you said, whoa, 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 whoa. We get so defensive, we get hypersensitive because we're the victim. You don't accuse the victim of hurting people because I'm the victim. You know, I have family members, two brothers, who have not spoken to each other in over 31 years. I saw them at my mother's funeral. One of them came up to me. I said, hey, how's it going, man? You speak to your brother? Say, nah, man, I can't, I can't. I'm like, bro, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's your brother. 31 years. When a soul goes unexamined, unchecked, neglected, it becomes easier to overlook its hardness. 
But here's the thing. There is good news. Believe it or not, there is good news. You know, sometimes the smallest acts of self-denial can break up that hard soil. Underneath the hardness, there is a soft soil. It's tender. It's still usable. It's still productive. But we got to break that top short, that top soil. We got to crack that surface first so we can get to that good soil that's underneath. It's always been there. It's just been covered in a hard layer of soil. And underneath the hardness is often fear, the fear of being hurt, fear of being rejected, fear of broken pride, fear of having to apologize or admit some fault to blame, fear of looking foolish and being embarrassed. But the hard soul can be saved when that soil gets softened again. It is absolutely possible. And it only takes a tiny bit of softness to give a seed a chance to take root. You know, the seed is stronger than anything you and I have ever known. God's word is powerful. God's word will take root in the most unspiritual heart if given half the chance. You know, I always say if if God can save me, he can save anybody. I look at Paul. Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm like, you hadn't met James Warren. We could have wrote that verse together. We would have been the same. I'm like, bro, I don't know. But, you know, what was going on in my heart. And Paul probably would have, you know, bro, you got that one. You got, you, you, you got that one. Yeesh. But a tiny seed can break up a sidewalk. It can push through. It can thrive. I mean, you walk through your neighborhoods, you see the cracks in the sidewalks. You see concrete being lifted up because of the roots that are underneath. A seed is powerful and God's word is powerful if we give it half the chance. There are times where just a single verse of God's word has carried me through has lifted me out of a dark depression. Just a single verse. That's how powerful God's word is. The hardened soul is closer to being saved than it realizes. It only needs to give God half the chance. Does this describe you? Have you hardened yourself to relationships? Have you closed your heart to relationships because you were hurt? Have you hardened yourself to God? Has God been trying to get your attention? Maybe through another relationship, maybe through another hurt person, maybe through his word. Does this reflect who you are? Secondly, the shallow soil. It says that some fell on rocky places in verse 5, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. You know, some seeds fell on rocky places. And the idea here is not that the seed fell on a pile of rocks, but that there was a thin layer of soil and solid rock underneath the soil. So the seed had, had life, but only until things started to heat up. And we see this more times than we like in the church. 
People get excited. And in verse 6, it says, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. People get excited. They make Jesus Lord of their life. But things start to heat up when persecution comes or when they're called to really fight and fight for their faith. And when they're, they meet their first wave of opposition or rejection or they're reminded that the world outside is still lost even though you've been saved inside. You still got to deal with the world. You still got to deal with the worldly relationships in your life. And sometimes for those of us who have relationships with people who are not committed to God, that's even more challenging because you're going home to that every day. And you're often reminded of your situation. But here's the thing. Jesus said that if a soil is shallow, it will not take root. You've got to have roots if you're going to make it persevere through these trials. That means you've got to dig deep. You've got to get beyond what's keeping your roots from settling. You know, the world tries to sell us on settling for the superficial. Looking good on the surface and fitting into the status quo. I love this quote here by Richard Foster who wrote this book, Celebration of Discipline, back in the 70s, late 70s. If you have not read this book, I encourage you, you got to read it. It's called The Celebration of Discipline. It talks about fasting, meditation, all the spiritual disciplines that can really help you get deeper in your walk with God. But this quote he says, it says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I think we can say amen to that, right? See, the soul is the deepest part of us. So it makes sense for us to get deeper. It's so deep that there are parts of our soul that we can't seem to understand. In Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says, The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Soul searching is a lot like trying to locate someone at sea, lost at sea in deep waters. You, gotta, you can't stay in the shallows if you're going to really get deep. you got to venture out into deep waters. You know, when we go to the beach as a family, I like to stay right on shore where it's nice and safe. Yes, my feet are scorched from the hot sand. I'm not a big beach fan. My kids, my wife, they love it. Noah Bur- buries himself in the sand. My thing with the beach is you take sand and you're getting it out of stuff for months. You go to the car, you open the door, the sand falling out, you put your shoes on, the sand falling out of your shoes. You got sand in places that you don't want it to be in, and it's like, it's not, it's not enjoyable to me. But I'll tell you one thing, when you go into that water, it's refreshing, right? It feels good to have that cool wave just crash on your body to relieve you from that heat. But it gets intimidating when you start to look over those breaking waves. And I see people venturing out, and I'm just like, look, I'll stay right here, waist deep. I can swim, but I'm not that confident in my ability to go out there. And my daughter's out there, my wife is out there. I'm like, I'll be right here with Noah. I'll be protecting the sandcastle, you know. 
And, and it takes a lot of courage to go out in the deep water. But it also takes a lot of understanding. Like, you've got to understand how waves work. You know, my wife, she knows how to tread water. I go right to the bottom. Boom. I can't float to save my life. Go right to the bottom. So there's some understanding. You've got to know what you're getting into. You don't just go out in the deep water if you don't know how to swim. Right? And, you know, when it comes to spiritual matters, sometimes we can be afraid to get deep. We want to keep things on the surface. So when people ask us how we're doing, I'm good. I'm all right. We want to keep it right at the surface. But a man who understands that not everybody's always all right. And that our soul has depths that we have yet to discover. We go beyond that. How you doing, bro? We start to ask more penetrating questions. Because we're not about being surfacey here. We're about getting deep. No relationship can last if all you do is talk about things on the surface. How was your day, honey? Oh, it was good. All right, good night. See you later. How, how deep is that? I think even our prayers can be some sometimes surfacey. Lord, be with me. I'm already with you. I said that in Matthew 28. I'm never going to leave you. I never left. You might have left, but I'm not. I'm still here. I'm the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Our prayers, Lord, be with me. Lord, uh, uh, bless this food. It's already been blessed. How about let's get a little deep? Let's get deeper. God doesn't want to stay on the surface. He wants to know what is on your heart. God wants to hear it from your mouth because if it doesn't leave your mouth, it never leaves your heart. Bro, I'm struggling with lust. Okay. Me too. Anything else? Who you struggling with? How often? What situation? Is there something going on at home that's leading you to, de- to desire more? We got to get deeper. You know, for most of our lives, we live in the shallows. And then something happens, a crisis, a birth, a death, and then we get a glimpse of the incredible depth that it takes to make it in this world. You know, before my daughter was born, life was simple. It was me, it was Zalika, and it was our 90-pound boxer named Tyson. Life was, you know, life was simple. But when my daughter was born, I experienced emotions that I have felt before, but they, they were a lot deeper. I, I, I've had fear before, but when you got fear and it's connected to your child, that takes you to a place that you, you've never been before. You know, I've had, I've had a, a sense of excitement, but when you see that little girl taking her first steps, when she mouthed those words, Daddy, and you hear them from her mouth with her little high-pitched tone for the first time, that excitement is deeper. It awakens something in you that you didn't realize was in you. You're not in the shallows anymore. When you experience death for the first time and you're reminded of your own mortality 
and you realize that, man, life is short. We just lost a brother yesterday or two days ago, 40 years old. Your brother in Christ died of a heart attack in the Lower Westchester ministry. 40 years old. You see, his family right now, they're going to a place that they never had to go to before. You may experience death of a family member or a loved one, but when it's a someone as close as your spouse or your child, it takes you to a deeper place. Our soul has immeasurable depths to it. You know, I realize sometimes that my soul becomes shallow when my thoughts and interests go no further than myself. And I believe that we should go deep because life itself is deep. Like Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, a deep soul has the capacity to understand and empathize deeply with other people, not just himself. And a soul especially has depth when it is connected to a deep God. We have a deep God. And like the soul, God is beyond measure. In Psalm 42 Verses 5 through 7, it says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My Savior and my God, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. The depths of our soul calls out to the depths of God. And because we're made in his image, God has given us the capacity to connect with him on a deeper level. We can be connected to God the way Jesus was connected to God because his Holy Spirit lives within us. God did not give us a shallow spirit. Nor did he give us a shallow soul. You know, there's more going on than we can see on the surface in our souls. To love, care, or value deeply means that we have devoted time and thought and effort. To suffer deeply is to be wounded on a soul level. You know, sometimes people say that time heals all wounds. That's not always the case. There's some of us who have been wounded for a very long time. And we're still not healed. And it's because we haven't given attention to our soul as it deserves. You can't run away from the pain. At some point, you have to deal with it. And that means going beyond those, the comfortable breakers. It means going into neck deep water. And dealing with that situation in your life, otherwise you'll always be wounded. And you will never heal. You know, oftentimes Jesus, you ever wonder why Jesus would ask people in the Gospels when they would come to him for something? He would, what do you want me to do for you? He knows everything. He knows the condition of our souls. So why wouldn't Jesus just walk through and just touch people? You know, you're standing there, threshing weed. Jesus walks by, tell you, oh yeah, you didn't know, but you, you need this healing. It's because he wants us 
to be in connection. He wants us to step out in faith and to get into deep waters. He wants us to initiate that. He wants us to be a part of the healing process. But we've got to take a part in that. You know, depth is a limitless spiritual measurement. There is no telling how deeply spiritual you can be. There's no limit to how deep you can be spiritually. Do you hear that? So you can, you can be a Christian all your life and not experience, experience spiritual depth. But you can also be a young Christian and be deeply spiritual. It's all about the time you put in to investing in your spiritual walk. I've seen people, Christians, half the time I've been Christians, deeply spiritual people. I mean, seeing things that I'm thinking, how long you been around? But it's because they put in the time. They weren't afraid to venture out into the deep waters. They let God get in there and work on their hearts and touch their souls. And then I've seen the opposite. People who have walked with God for years and have only gotten their feet wet when it comes to spiritual matters. God wants us to get deeper. You know, the abyss in the scriptures, there's a word in the Bible that describes eternity without God. It's called abusos. And in the Greek, it's where we get the word abyss from. We get the word abyss. The soul without God for eternity is considered to be in an abyss, a bottomless hole. That's what the soul experiences when it's not connected to God. It can't see the bottom. And that's not where God wants us to be. God is saying that with me, there is spiritual buoyancy. That although you, you're, 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 you're wading out in the, deep, in the deep waters, you're not sinking. Because God's spirit and his soul connects with ours to keep us above drowning in our circumstances. Sometimes we drown in our circumstances because we're not connected to God. And so we don't get to experience the deep faith that can maintain us through our problem. Sometimes for, for some of us, we, get, we go, we experience hardship and crisis and we run away. But when you get deep, you stand there, you face it. You're like, look, let's do, let's, let's do this thing. Because you're connected to God and your faith gets deeper. In Luke chapter 8, verse 31, when Jesus drove out legion, even the demons begged him repeatedly not to order, him, to order them to go into the abyss. Even the demons were afraid to go into a place where they cannot see God. That's how deep this thing is. No soul, even lost ones, want to be in the abyss. Job spoke to God from the bitterness of his soul, from the depth of his being. And this idea of depth of our soul having that capacity to connect with the deep things of God, it should give us hope. It should give us hope that there is no limit to how close you can be to God. In Luke, I'm sorry, in Leviticus 21, verse 11. In the New American Standard, it says, Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul will not reject you. I will walk among you 
and be your God, and you shall be my people. God will not reject a soul that is deeply connected to his. God is saying that we can be connected to the deepest parts of his beings. I love this passage in Deuteronomy 4, verse 29. You know, the one way to measure the depths of our soul and to see how deep our roots go is by devotion. But if, in verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 29, says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Moses is saying here that it's not even enough just to seek it with your heart because sometimes our hearts can get discouraged. Sometimes our hearts can get sidetracked. But the deepest part of us, which is our soul, longs to be connected to the deepest part of God. So even when our hearts are discouraged, our soul can be known. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. There is something that spurs our hearts on, and it's our soul. Because it longs to be with God. It's why we come back time and time again when we mess up. It's why we hang in there with other brothers and sisters when they fall. It's because we understand that if the soul is in the abyss, then it's not connected to God. And no soul wants to be set apart from its creator. If your soul is a ship, then your heart is the compass. The soul will follow wherever the heart leads. If our heart's in a good place, then our soul has hope. But if our heart's not, then our soul has to fight overtime to convince the heart to do the right thing. Where is your heart leading you this morning? Where is your heart leading your soul this morning? For some of us, you come every week and we thank you. We want you to come. But at what point do you get sick and tired of being sick and tired? I know for a fact that your soul is crying out to God and you have been trying to figure out why your life is not fulfilled. You wouldn't be here if you were totally fulfilled. Some of us who have walked with God for years, you may also find yourself discontented. That's not unusual. It's not, un, it's not abnormal for us to walk with the Lord and need to be restored. Isn't that what Psalm 23 says? The Lord restores our soul. Every now and again, our soul needs to be restored to God. Where is your heart leading you this morning? I want to close out with this illustration. On March 16th, 1985, Terry Anderson, living and working in Beirut, Lebanon, as a chief Mideast correspondent to the Associated Press, had just finished a game of tennis when he was abducted right off the street. Thrown into the trunk of a car, he was shuttled away to a secret location where he was held hostage for the next six years and nine months. He became the longest-held of several Americans taken captive by a group of radical Shiite Muslim militants in an attempt to drive U.S. military forces from Lebanon during, the, during a long and bloody civil war. This long captivity gave Mr. Anderson ample time for serious soul-searching. Concluding that he was not the person he wanted to be, he promised God that if given another chance, he would be better. I'll go to church, I'll give to the poor, spend my life on good causes, I'll read the Bible, 
and try to understand what's being asked of me. In all of his soul searching, God used his captivity to bring him to a greater faith and a renewed life in Christ. Sometimes the place where we least want to be is the place where we most need to be. For it's uncomfortable, and it's in these uncomfortable places where God becomes more real to us and our soul's condition becomes ever more clearer. These are the experiences that God uses to refine and reshape us as he wants us. Stop asking God to take away your circumstances. Instead, ask him to reveal his plan and his will to you in the midst of your circumstances because God may have you exactly where he needs you to be. I love you guys. We'll pick this up next week.